0: We really should come with expectation. We sing that song, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That's the love he has for us. That God is present now. We should be expectant, expectant, anticipating what God wants to do in our lives. You know, really... That's what I want to talk about this morning. Not expectancy, but this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I want to talk about it by focusing on the very heart of the gospel, which is the cross. Some years ago, I was teaching a class at Truett Seminary, and about 15 students were sitting around a long table. It was a seminar format. And to my right, across the table, was a student who said, you know, The cross is important. I know it's important, but it seems to me the real heart of the gospel is the resurrection, Christ defeating death, Christ who is alive and ever ready to to answer our prayers and to intervene. Some other students were nodding their head. Yes, that sounds right. And then to my left, I heard this stern, firm, no. And I turned and it was Maria sitting to my left. Maria wasn't shy about expressing her opinions, but but she's very sweet, and you wouldn't normally hear her say, no, but she said it, and she meant it. She said, you can't just fly to the resurrection. You have to stop and ponder and live with the crucifixion of Jesus. said, well, Maria, could you tell us more? Could you tell us more of your story? Why are you saying this? And she did tell us more. And I'll tell you her story in just a moment, a few moments. First, I want to set the stage for it by talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. The past two weeks, we've been in John chapter 19. Our life groups have been studying that chapter. And I want to read a few verses from it, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Skipping down to verse 14. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Some years ago, I preached a series of messages titled, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? If I were to re-preach a series like that, I'd probably change the title. Why was Jesus crucified? Because there's a difference He didn't simply die. He was crucified. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see again and again, his crucifixion is emphasized. Paul talks about it in Philippians. He says that he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. It wasn't just any death. It was the horrifying, shameful death of crucifixion. That's what it was. It was shameful no, it was, it was terrible torture. There's no question about that. There are a few ways that you can die that are more physically painful and wrenching than crucifixion. But it's interesting that the New Testament typically doesn't emphasize that side of things. Instead, it tells us how Jesus was continually humiliated and shamed and degraded That's what crucifixion was in the ancient world. It was a way of signifying that this person is no person at all. This isn't a human being. This this is someone that we want to drive out from among humanity. We want to snuff out their life. We want to squash them like an insect. They're the dregs of society. They don't belong here. Crucifixion was all about letting people know that they were nothing. They were nothing. In the Roman Empire, you wouldn't crucify a Roman citizen. Usually, you'd crucify slaves, sometimes criminals of various kinds, but only, as I said, the dregs of society. And when the crucifixion took place and the person hung naked in front of this crowd that had gathered around, The crowd would hoot and mock and scorn and ridicule and laugh at the person who hung there dying. After they died, they would be left to be, for their body to be eaten by birds and beasts. It was the most degrading form of death they could imagine. And it was that way on purpose. It was all meant to say, You are not to challenge us. It was meant to terrify everyone. The crucifixions would generally take place at a crossroads where lots of people would see it. The Romans wanted everybody to see it. This is what happens when you challenge Rome. So Jesus was crucified in front of the world, and there he died. In Ohio, this university Called the University of Steubenville. It's a Franciscan university, and they had some theology classes they were advertising. One of the ads on Facebook had a picture depicting Jesus Christ crucified, Facebook banned it. They said it was extreme violence, shocking. It was too much, it violated their community standards well, they got that one right, didn't they? It is shocking. It is extreme violence. Walter Benjamin is a famous Jewish scholar, a philosopher, and sitting on his desk was a copy of Grunewald's altarpiece. That's a painting of Jesus where he is on the cross. John the Baptist is pointing his finger at him and the wounds in his side. If you were here last summer, you might have Heard me when I preached and, and showed you a picture of Grunewald's painting. Jesus is on the cross and the agony of his soul is seen in his hands. They're twisted. You could see the torment there. Benjamin said of that painting that it depicts Alstraglose, which means a thing beyond telling, something that words can't take in, this agony and humiliation that Jesus faced. 2018, a remarkable priest named Kenneth Leach passed away. He was a priest in the Church of England. He wasn't a typical priest, I have to tell you. Typical priest serves in a parish and They just take care of families and their needs, and they preach, and they observe the sacraments. But, well, Leach was a little bit different. He always had a heart for the people on the outside. And so his ministry was to go to people who were homeless, people who were addicted to drugs and alcohol, and he'd reach out to them, and he ministered to them for decades. He was also a brilliant man. And he wrote a number of books, and one book, he says something that struck me. It's, we preach Christ crucified, and he has a quote that I wrote down. Listen to this. In order to speak of the crucified God, we need a theology of abandonment, of dereliction, of an alienation so profound that it can only be expressed in language marked by paradox, and by great daring and risk. There is something so outrageous and obscene about it that the agony of Gethsemane becomes the only comprehensible part of the whole saga. It is obscene. We we try to find analogies in our world, and the closest one an analogy in our world to what happened to Jesus in the first century is lynching because in a lynching the whole town comes out children are left off from let out of school so that they can be there it becomes a community event People scorn, mock, laugh, ridicule, and every aspect of the lynching is meant to humiliate and degrade and send a very clear message, don't you dare challenge our power. Don't you dare step out of line. The whole purpose of the lynching was to terrify the African-American community and Have them stay in line. That's the closest modern parallel to what happened to Jesus. Jesus was lynched in AD 30. That's what happened, and that's the humiliation. If you're like me, when the subject of lynching comes up, it rarely does, but when it does, it's like I've got this reflex in my mind and heart. I immediately want to turn to a different subject. Do you feel like that right now? You don't even want to think about it. For somewhat different reasons, African-Americans feel exactly the same way. They don't want to think about it. And it's interesting, in the ancient world, crucifixion was common. But if you read ancient literature, you find very few references to it. Do you know why that was? They didn't want to think about it either. In polite Roman society, you would never talk about crucifixion. Would you talk about lynching at a party Would you just bring that up as if it was not? You wouldn't even mention it. And that's what it was. And the elites, they didn't want to write about it. They wanted to forget about it. It was something you used for people who were subhuman. So Jesus was lynched. Jesus was crucified. And that's what the New Testament tells us. We don't like to think about it. And you know what's interesting? Even in the first century, you had Christians who didn't want to think about it there too, even in the Bible. The church at Corinth was that kind of church. They didn't deny that Jesus died for their sins, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to dwell on crucifixion. They wanted to talk about resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit and living this life of such joy and blessing. They were all about the blessing. And so Jesus, when he comes to them, resolves that he is going to correct the superficial faith that they held by preaching the heart of the gospel. And that means Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to what he says. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul felt that foolishness and that weakness when he preached the gospel because that's how the Romans saw this Christian claim that God had died on a cross. God was crucified. What kind of God is this? One of the most prominent critiques of Christianity in the ancient world was it's this inferior religion with this inferior God. In fact, fact, there's this ancient image. I hadn't planned on mentioning this, but it it so perfectly depicts the way the Romans saw Christianity. There's a cross with an ass head on the cross, and a man bowed before it. Aleximenos worships his God. That's how the Romans saw Christianity Jesus Christ crucified. But Paul said, This shameful, foolish, weak message is, in fact, the power of God to bring salvation. So I turned to Maria and I said, Maria, tell us your story. Why do you say that? Why are you so concerned? to say that. And she said, some years ago, I was sexually assaulted. She said, I felt so filthy, and I wanted, I wanted to hide my face in shame said, I felt shame. And and I went to a therapist and, and they kept assuring me it wasn't my sin. It wasn't my guilt. It wasn't my shame. And I knew that was true and it helped me somewhat, but I still felt the shame of it. And I just wanted to hide. I didn't want to see anyone. I started holding back from my friends. And she said, one day I was reading the gospels And I was reading about the crucifixion of Jesus. And she said, they stripped him naked in front of everyone. And as he hung on that cross and they mocked and scorned him, she said, he couldn't hide his face. He couldn't hide his face. He hung there As it says in Psalm 22, like a worm, not a man. She said, When I saw that, I realized Jesus Christ, He knows me and what I feel. He's entered into my pain and my shame. The degradation that she felt, He had felt. And she said, I knew, I knew at that moment that this Jesus who took my place and then rose to glory could raise me up as well. And he has. My healing began, she said, when I realized that Jesus shared my pain. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? John Lennox is professor of mathematics emeritus at Oxford University, and he was on a trip through Eastern Europe. And on that trip, he met a Jewish woman from South Africa who was doing research on her family. Her parents and many in her family were killed in the Holocaust, and she wanted to know more about them and know more about what they had gone through. And so Lennox was standing with her when they stood before a display of the gate leading into Auschwitz, and there were pictures there of children that had been part of medical experiments put on by Josef Mengele. Lennox said he could hardly look at the pictures. When he looked at them, he started thinking about what the children must have been experiencing, and he just couldn't take it. When the thought came into his mind about his own children, he, he just looked away. But this Jewish woman at his side turned to him and said, what does your religion say about this? And he thought, what am I going to say? (laughs) What am I going to say? I mean, she lost her parents. She lost much of her family in the Holocaust. I've never experienced anything like that. What What can I say to her? But he said, you know, I'm not going to insult the memory of your parents by giving you some simple answer to a question like that. I don't know all that your family's gone through, but you know that I follow Yeshua. I believe that he is the Messiah, and you know Yeshua means Savior. I believe he's the Savior. It says, not only that, I believe that he is God incarnate. It said, I don't have a simple answer, but... But I do think I have something that gets to the doorway of an answer. It's a doorway that opens out into peace. I think I have an answer there. He said, I believe Yeshua was God incarnate. And that raises that question. What was he doing on the cross?
1: God in human
0: flesh. Dying humiliated on the cross. He said, I think, I think he was signaling to all of us that he doesn't stand off far distant from our suffering and our shame, but enters right into it. But then defeats death in the resurrection, and he will return and put all things right. There was a long pause, says Lennox, silence. Finally, the woman spoke quietly but audibly. She asked, why has no one ever told me that about my Messiah? There's something about that message that says, that Jesus Christ didn't just die for sin. It's not some abstract theological doctrine. He died for sin. Jesus Christ entered into the humiliation and degradation of crucifixion and thereby enters in to the plight that so many face today. And so... And so that is the message of the cross. And it provides, I think, a message of hope for all of us. Think about it. I mean, wherever you are, whatever you've experienced, whatever sins you've committed, whatever degraded place you find yourself, either because of what's been done to you or what you have done, Jesus has entered into that place and stands with you. That's your hope. That's your hope. It's not only a message of hope. It's a summons to a different kind of life. That is, the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified calls on us to take up the cause of the stigmatized. You know, in the first century, there were religious people, very religious people, who looked around at their society and thought there is so much compromise, so much ungodliness, people need to make a choice. And they drew a line in the sand and they made it very clear, God and all those who keep his commandments are on this side and rebels and sinners who are destined for hell are on this side and everybody needs to choose. They drew it and said, make your choice. And Jesus comes, God incarnate, and he steps from God's side to the sinner's side. He was baptized with sinners. He ate with sinners. Then he died on a cross like the worst of sinners. Jesus stepped on the side of sinners and left the righteous without God all alone. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to take up the cause of the stigmatized. I mentioned just a minute ago, Kenneth Leach, he says something I think worth remembering. He said, if you're seeking Jesus in the temple, you need to also seek him in the slums, And when you find him there, wrap a towel around your waist and wash his feet. If Christians are going to bring good news and hope to people, they need to do it as people who follow a stigmatized Savior. They also need to do it as people who have taken up their own cross. Have you ever noticed Jesus doesn't say, follow me and risk dying a heroic death? He says, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Think about the cross now. Think about this ancient lynching tree. Take up your cross and follow me. There's some people who are ashamed to say that they're followers of Jesus. They're ashamed to say it. They're ashamed to come out publicly. They're afraid of what people are going to say about them. Can you imagine that? We've probably all sinned in that way before, but can you imagine that? Sinners like us being ashamed of him, Absolutely not. We need to take up our cross. We need to bear his shame. We need to speak up for our Lord. We need to tell others about him. We need to serve others in his name. To take up the cross, that is the summons. That is the summons. And so Jesus Christ, him crucified, that is the heart of the faith. That is the hope that we have the hope that we have, and it's the the message that we bring to the world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know you sent your Son to bear a curse for us, scorn for us, who is rejected for us, Lord we thank you for that and we pray oh lord that you would you would first lord lift the hearts of those who have been in despair who feel they've gone too far who who feel their shame who feel degraded, who feel in darkness, who feel there's no hope. Lord, may they they come to realize that there is a Savior who has entered into their situation, who stands with them in solidarity and who offers a new life. Lord, give that faith and hope in this room to those who need it. We pray that you would do it. And Lord, we pray that you would work in all of us. May the cross, Lord, take over our minds and hearts and be the center of our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.